section eighty four of mysteries of london volume four this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org mysteries of london volume four by george w m reynolds the confessions of a lunatic part two june eighteenth eighteen forty six i again resume my narrative five days have elapsed since i last put pen to paper and that interval has been one of darkness yes the fit was upon me but it has passed and i am now calm and collected once again i have just read over all that i have written above and i have laughed heartily at the fidelity and minuteness of my description of the first visit that i paid to the quack doctor let me now continue my narrative for the incidents are once more all fresh and vivid in my memory i am well aware that the imagination has much to do with our diseases and our cures possessed of what i deemed to be a salutary medicine my spirits rose and at the close of each of the six days during which the supply of balm lasted i said to myself i certainly feel stronger and better the fits of despondency were far less frequent and less intense my appetite improved and the colour came partially back to my cheeks this change was no doubt effected principally by the steady life which i adopted and by the increased mental tranquillity which i experienced i was moreover filled with hope that a complete restoration to health would be accomplished and thus while at this time i attributed everything to the medicine i have not the least doubt that the stuff was utterly valueless in itself editha was rejoiced to find my spirit so much improving and her mother expressed her delight at the regular habits which i had adopted i did not mention to a soul my visit to mr surtees that was my secret and a sense of shame made me cherish it religiously at the expiration of the week i called upon him again and on this occasion was at once admitted into his surgery there was another fee of a hundred guineas another six bottles of medicine prescribed and another cheque given for the amount thereof he asked me if i had read his book yet and i was compelled to reply in the negative vell never mind he said i ain't offended but you shall have a hopportunity of peruging it before you come again i'll just step up into the drawing-room and get you von he accordingly quitted the surgery and during his temporary absence an irresistible feeling of curiosity prompted me to look at a note which lay open upon the table i read it and thus it ran word for word dear joe you ax me to lend you my diplomy for a few days just to make a show with to a new patient but i vants for all till you as how i'd rather not let it go out of my house besides it's of no use to you cause it's made out in the name of lovert and you've took the name of surtees so no more from your affectionate brother etc this note was signed by the name of lavert and therefore it was apparent that the real appellation of my friend mr surtees was joseph lavert it struck me in a moment that i had become the dupe of a quack but i had sufficient command over myself to restrain my indignation when he returned to the room he was accompanied by a woman i cannot say a lady whom he introduced to me as his wife and here i must pause to say a few descriptive words of her mrs surtees was a vulgar dark-complexioned jewess with a long hooked nose her flesh seemed as if it had been smeared with oil and then wiped with a dry towel but on her cheeks she wore an immoderate quantity of rouge she was exceedingly stout with an enormous bust her hair rough and wavy was arranged in bands and plastered down with quince pips she was dressed in the most outrageous style and as she herself expressed it was about to go hout for a herring in the carriage her gown was of green velvet her shawl of bright red and her bonnet of rose-pink adorned with a profusion of artificial flowers inside and out 
she wore very pink silk stockings and short petticoats as she had conceived the erroneous impression that there was something attractive in her elephantine leg as a matter of course she carried a complete jeweller's shop about her person she wore no gloves and her large red hands were covered with rings her earrings were of gold studded with turquoise and now her portraiture is complete scarcely had the ceremony of introduction taken place when another female bounced into the apartment and she was immediately presented to me as mrs surtees sister such a pair was never seen before they looked like a butcher's daughters in their sunday's best and they were attired with an evidently studied view to contrast for the sister's gown was of blue velvet her shawl of flaunting yellow hue and her bonnet white these ladies having favoured me with a good long stare and a few observations relative to the weather and such like commonplace topics quitted the room to enter their vehicle which was waiting at the door mrs surtees had the gallantry to accompany them as far as the carriage and the moment i was alone again i had the curiosity to traverse the two rooms and take a peep from the front window the equipage was in perfect keeping with the appointments of the house and the attire of the occupants it was a barouche painted bright blue on the body but all the under part and wheels were of straw colour the inside was lined with yellow morocco it was drawn by two brown cobs the harness exhibiting a profusion of silver and the coachman's livery was of a gaudy blue with buttons also of silver but while i was making these observations from the window my ears were saluted with a brief colloquy that took place in the passage between mr surtees and his wife ere he handed her to the carriage they doubtless believed that i had remained in the surgery and little thought that i was near enough to catch all they said bell joe exclaimed mrs surtees any monzel vith that pale-faced young feller vich you said were so ansome and made me come in to see a good mozamotin he answered with a vulgar chuckling laugh oh then he stumped the gwelt demanded the woman joining in the cachination to be sure he did my love responded this precious consulting surgeon and i means to have a good deal more out on him afore i've done oh very well then returned mrs surtees in this case the boy a b must have a new polka hat and little joe a new welwit dress out of it all right exclaimed the consulting surgeon come cut along and astonish the natives in the park a bit i shall jine you presently he then handed the two women into the carriage and i hurried back to the surgery where i seated myself till his return so that he could not suspect i had quitted the place during his temporary absence i longed to tell him all i knew or suspected relative to his real character but a fear of exposure made me silent and i took my leave of him with as much civility as i could bring myself to bestow upon such a person i knew that i had been completely and thoroughly victimized but on reflection i was glad of it i saw that the circumstance of taking the medicine had stimulated my imagination and had thereby aided in improving my health on my return home i threw the six bottles away without drinking another drop of the trashy balm and i sent at once for a respectable physician who for a fee of five guineas gave me proper advice i then came to the conclusion that it is always better under any emergency to have recourse to legitimate assistance than to seek the aid of advertisers no matter whether the subject involved be medicine law or money my health improved rapidly and at the expiration of three months i became the happy husband of the equally happy editha here must i pause for a time the recollection of my wedding day has revived memories which overpower me june twentieth eighteen forty six i resume my narrative twelve months have elapsed after my marriage with the loveliest and most amiable woman in the universe and nothing had transpired to interrupt our felicity 
a boy had blessed our union and i was as happy as a husband and father could possibly be my health was almost completely re-established and my habits were regular and domestic i loathed the idea of those exciting pleasures and feverish enjoyments in the vortex of which i had nearly wrecked everything health fortune and reputation and mrs greville who dwelt with us would often assure me with a smile that i was the very pattern of good husbands my brother who had become a magistrate was a frequent visitor at our house and all was progressing in peace comfort and tranquillity when an incident suddenly occurred to interfere with that smiling prospect it was late one evening shortly after my beloved editha's recovery from her confinement that i was informed that a person who refused to give his name desired to speak with me in private i ordered the servant to show him into the library and thither i immediately afterwards proceeded the man whom i encountered there was a short thick-set fellow with a forbidding countenance he was flashily dressed and had about him an air of jaunty impudence as if he had come upon some evil mission in which he knew that he should succeed i asked him his business without inviting him to be seated for i conceived a dislike to him the instant i set eyes upon his sinister features your name is macdonald he said flinging himself into a chair in a very free and easy manner there is no necessity for you to acquaint me with that fact i observed assuming as chilling a tone as possible oh but there is though he ejaculated because i must make sure that i am speaking to the right person will you admit your name now will you tell me whether you're the gentleman that married miss editha greville what means this impudence i demanded angrily explain your business sir without farther circumlocution i'll come to the point in a minute returned the man quite unabashed fifteen or sixteen months ago you used to visit a certain gentleman who lives not a hundred miles from soho square i started and turned pale for it struck me in a moment that the fellow was alluding to the consulting surgeon well now i see that it's all right he exclaimed doubtless drawing this inference from the confusion of my manner of course you would rather it shouldn't be known that you did visit the gentleman he added emphatically i do not understand your meaning i replied look here then continued the fellow it would not be very pleasant to have your brother your mother-in-law your friends your tradesmen your servants and even your wife made acquainted with the fact that you were under mr surtees for some time previous to your marriage i never visited him but twice were the words that i gasped out for horrible sensations were coming rapidly over me never mind how often it was cried the man in a brutal tone you did call to consult him and that's enough for me now then tis for you to say how much you'll give me to keep the secret wretch extortioner i ejaculated rage succeeding alarm in my breast it's of no use to attempt to bully me said the ruffian with the most cold-blooded composure i want money and i mean to get it out of you or else i said all my wretched feelings returning as i saw myself threatened with exposure shame and irretrievable degradation or else he repeated i shall tell the secret to all the people i've named and then we shall see whether you will ever hold up your head in society again and how much money do you require i asked my heart sinking within me five hundred will do for the present he responded imperiously for the present i cried echoing his words what do you mean to visit me again for such a purpose not if you shall out at once and without making any more words about it he said there was no alternative save to comply and i accordingly counted into his hand the bank-notes for the sum named in another minute he had taken his departure and i was left alone to meditate upon the scene that had just occurred it was a long time before i could so far compose my countenance and my feelings as to be able to return to the parlour without exciting the suspicions of my wife and mother-in-law that something unpleasant had taken place but i managed to conceal the sorrow which the event of the evening had engendered within me 
and early on the following morning i paid a visit to mr surtees he did not appear at first to recollect me or at all events if he did he was a wonderful adept in playing the part of forgetfulness but when i mentioned my name he exclaimed by is it possible that you have come back to consult me again far from it i answered with a bitterness which i could not hide and which he failed not to notice for he bit his lip and coloured deeply i then related to him the particulars of the visit i had received on the previous evening and accused him of being the prime mover in the matter but he repelled the charge with so much indignation whether real or feigned i cannot even now determine that i certainly believed him at the time and were i at present writing for the purpose of having my narrative read by the world i should be loath indeed to have it inferred that mr surtees was in reality mixed up with the case of extortion much as i hate and despise him i will not do him a wanton injustice and i am therefore bound to state that he was warm and energetic in his assurances of complete innocence respecting the transactions but how could the man have known that i ever did visit you i asked though things does get abroad in a many most unaccountable ways he responded but i take my gosh to witness that i am as clear of this business as the babe vats unborn vat can i do to convince you that such is the fact i do not entertain such a dreadful opinion of human nature as to disbelieve you sir was my rejoinder and i took my leave but distressed and harassed as i was i could not help noticing the strong and disagreeable odour of fried fish that came up from the lower regions of the dwelling nor could i avoid a smile as i caught a glimpse of mrs surtees who was running hastily upstairs having evidently emerged from the kitchen for her swarthy countenance was as greasy as it could be and her appearance was dirty and slovenly in the extreme yet a few hours later in the day this woman would doubtless turn out in all the flaunting god of her rainbow attire and in the profuse display of her costly jewellery i must again repeat that i quitted mr surtees abode with the conviction that he was anything but an accomplice in the scheme of extortion and i said to myself as i returned homeward the scene of last night is one of those penalties which we are doomed to pay for the irregularities and evil courses of our youthful years but even though surtees himself be innocent is not the extortionate deed all the same a result of an infamous system of quackery destroy that system and the quietude of men's homes could not thus be troubled by the visits of extortioners by degrees my mind grew calmer and as weeks and months fled away i had almost ceased to think of the occurrence which had so much ruffled me when one evening the man reappeared at the house again was the ominous message delivered to me a while i was seated in the society of my beloved wife and her excellent mother again did i see the man in private and again was i compelled to endure his cool insolence and yield to his extortionate demands another five hundred pounds was transferred from my pocket to his own and once more was i forced to veil the real condition of my feelings when i rejoined the ladies in the parlour and now as time slipped away i did not lose the misgivings that this second visit had excited in my mind i could not forget that i was in the power of a villain who was certain to come back again months passed and a third time i remember it well it was on christmas eve the fatal message was delivered to me on this occasion i started so violently and betrayed so much confusion that both my wife and mother-in-law observed my agitation i however hurried away without responding to their anxious inquiries and when once more in the presence of the extortioner i heaped the bitterest reproaches upon him he heard me with a coolness and a self-possession that only augmented my wrath and at length i ceased speaking through sheer exhaustion he then informed me in his imperious and rude manner that he had an opportunity of emigrating under the most favourable services that he required a thousand pounds and that if i gave him the sum he would never trouble me again i bound him by the most solemn oaths to that pledge and to save myself from a shame that would have 
crushed me down to the very dust and rendered life intolerable i gave the miscreant a check on my bankers for the large amount which he demanded but on my return to the company of my editha and mrs greville i was compelled to invent falsehoods to account for my confusion and i beheld with pain and bitter grief that they both saw that i was deceiving them that i was concealing the real truth and that there was something upon my mind oh yes and they conjectured truly for my peace was now so thoroughly disturbed that i despaired of regaining it i felt convinced that in spite of the villain's solemn vows he would come back again and i dreaded to be at home for every knock at the door made me start nervously if i walked or rode out on my return i dreaded lest the servant should inform me that a certain person had called for me during my absence and would look in again in the evening thus my life became a veritable burthen to me and my sorrow was aggravated by the stern necessity of retaining it all in my own breast often and often did i think of inventing some excuse to induce my wife and her mother to consent that we should break up our establishment in london and repair to the continent but what apology could i devise for such a strange proceeding and moreover would not the extortioner find me out if he set himself to the work because to imagine any feasible ground for changing our name was impossible thus months passed away without seeing me determine upon any plan to frustrate the extortioner should he return and i saw that my editha's health and spirits began to fail because she knew that i was secretly unhappy and the extortioner did come back and again was i forced to yield to his demands two thousand pounds that he obtained from me on this occasion and when i reminded him of his solemn pledges and sacred vows he laughed outright in my face oh how i hated abhorred loathed that man i could have slain him on the spot but i thought of my dear wife and innocent boy and i restrained my hand and now my mind became seriously unsettled a painful nervousness constantly maintained its influence over me my health gave way again as rapidly under the heavy weight of sorrow as it did beneath the wearing effects of dissipation oh yes and what was worse than all was that my editha grew paler and thinner day by day visibly and i dared not attempt to console her i could not force my tongue to frame a lie to assure her that i myself was happy thus was our once happy home changed to a scene of gloom a deep despondency hung upon us all and i perceived with ineffable anguish that mrs greville began to view me with distrust perhaps she thought that some crime lay heavy upon my soul yes this must have been her impression or she would doubtless have questioned me but she did not live long enough to behold the sad catastrophe a short though severe illness snatched her to the tomb and circumstanced as i was i rejoiced in secret at the event for i said to myself there is at all events one being the less to deceive one being the less to watch me with mournful and silently appealing looks oh god it was not strange it was not wonderful if madness were beginning even then to undermine the strong tower of my reason scarcely were the remains of my mother-in-law consigned to the tomb when the extortioner reappeared at the house his demands increased in proportion to the concessions which were made to him by my fears but i was totally unable to comply with his present exigences it is true that there was much property still left but it was settled on my wife and i could not command from my own resources the sum needed this i candidly told him and besought him to be merciful yes with tears in my eyes did i beseech him the wretch the monster what cared he for my grief my anguish he desired me to have recourse to a discounter gave me the address of a money-lender and said he should return on the following evening accordingly impelled by my wretched wretched destiny i visited the money-lender who advanced me three thousand pounds on my own acceptance and at most usurious interest the whole of that money found its way into the pocket of the extortioner and when he had taken his departure i fell down in a fit for days and days did i keep my bed when i awoke to consciousness it was from a delirium my dear wife was seated by my bedside but oh god how pale 
how altered how wan she was with long vigils and deep grief i questioned her guardedly to ascertain whether in my ravings i had betrayed my secret but i learnt beyond all doubt that i had not then i began to breathe more freely and she throwing her arms about my neck exclaimed while tears streamed in torrents down her cheeks my beloved husband you have some dreadful grief preying upon your mind may i not be made your confidant i have observed that always after the visits of the man who calls every now and then and invariably in the evening you are stricken as with a heavy affliction oh what does it all mean i endeavoured to console her to soothe her to reassure her as well as i could but i saw that she only pretended to be solaced for my sake well i recovered but happiness and i had shaken hands for ever i felt as if i were followed about by an invisible demon whose breath poisoned the very atmosphere that i breathed i know that my brain was reeling that my reason was tottering that i was going mad often did i think seriously of murdering my wife and child and putting an end to my own existence but i dared not lay violent hands upon them and i had too much moral courage still left to seek deaths so long as there remained a single tie however feeble to bind me to life but a new misfortune was in store for me for us a solicitor in whom i and my wife trusted obtained our signatures to certain deeds under the foulest representations and by virtue thereof he sold out all the stock standing underneath his name in the bank he then absconded and we were suddenly reduced from affluence to comparative penury i was unable to honour my acceptance and the discounter would listen to no terms he said that he had passed it away in the regular course of business and could not take it up himself i was arrested and thrown into prison my friends deserted me believing that wanton extravagance on my part had led to this catastrophe yes all save my beloved wife deserted me and she the angel remained faithful to me we had two hundred and fifty pounds a year still left and on the houses which produced this income my wife insisted on raising the money necessary to obtain my release but such a proceeding would have left us beggars and i could not endure the idea of misery for one two three persons no the property was so secured that my creditor could not touch it and i resolved by the advice of an attorney to apply for relief to the insolvents court i did so and the creditor opposed me on the ground of extravagance i could give no account of the manner in which i had disposed of the money he had advanced me and when the opposing counsel asked me on my oath whether i had not lost it at gambling i greedily snapped at the means of explanation and thus furnished and perjured myself by the utterance of an affirmative oh that miscreant extortioner he drove me to ruin a prison the insolvents court perjury and lastly to a madhouse great god how can i write this tranquilly when i think of all the wrongs that i have endured july twenty third eighteen forty six i have been compelled to desist again but at length i resume my pen my ideas are rapidly becoming more settled i think that i shall recover altogether if i can but manage to escape from this place i stated that i appeared at the insolvents court and was opposed by the holder of the bill for three thousand pounds the commissioner remanded me to prison for twelve months as a punishment for wanton and profligate expenditure i shall not dwell upon that long incarceration it was horrible to a sensitive soul like mine even editha patient and loving as she was failed to solace me altogether there were intervals of anguish so bitter that i fancied myself at times to be already dead and enduring the torments of hell dreadful thought but at length the time passed and i was once more free we took a neat little cottage in the suburbs of the metropolis and tranquillity seemed to have been restored to us at last our son throve gloriously oh what a handsome boy he became what a handsome boy he must be now nearly two years passed and i was recovering my mental serenity when one day i met the extortioner in the street oh what a cold shudder came over me as i saw his eyes fixed upon me it seemed as if a horrible spectre had suddenly started up from the earth to horrify and appall me i beheld ruin personified 
and a faintness came over me but i was recalled to a poignant sense of my misery by the well-known voice that fell upon my ears making fresh demands upon my purse i took the man into an obscure public-house close by and as there was no one in the room save ourselves at the time we could converse freely upon the business freely indeed when every word he uttered fell like drops of molten lead upon my heart and every syllable i breathed in return hissed from my parched tongue like water passing over red-hot iron what could i do the fiend insisted upon having money and swore that he would follow me home he however measured his demands to my means and insisted upon having three hundred pounds by a given hour the next evening we parted and i saw that he dogged me indeed he did not attempt to conceal himself nor his intentions as he followed me until i entered my own door and i knew that it was useless either to turn upon him in a hostile manner or to attempt to baffle his aim heaven only knows how i contrived to explain to my wife the reason for my altered appearance or rather how i managed to conceal the real cause beneath a falsehood but i did succeed in reassuring her somewhat and on the following day i went to the discounter the same discounter who had lent me money before to ask him for a loan it was a desperate step taken by a desperate man but to my surprise he consented without the slightest hesitation to accommodate me i received the money gave my note of hand and paid the amount to the extortioner but things had now reached a crisis with me and i became so unsettled in my mind that editha was seriously alarmed i remember that my brother the magistrate was sent for and he visited the house after having been long estranged from me then a mist came over my memory and when i awoke i was here yes here where i now pen these lines oh i have been mad raving mad and heaven knows that i have endured enough to make me so such persecution could only end in insanity but i am better now nay i am well although my friends will not believe it my brother was here yesterday and i saw by the way in which he humoured me when i told him i was fast recovering my reason that he still imagines me to be insane i implored him to let me see editha and my boy he declared that i should have that pleasure next sunday he likewise told me that they were well in health but deeply grieved on my account now i have made up my mind how to act i shall escape from this horrible place and proceed to france there i shall adopt an assumed name and thence i shall write to editha to join me at once with our son we shall be beyond the reach of the extortioner and tranquil if not happy days may yet await us yes this is my hope but shall i destroy the manuscript upon which i have laboured so arduously and which has furnished me with an occupation that has done me so much good no i cannot consent to annihilate the papers which contain a narrative so fraught with awful warning but does it not likewise contain my secret and is not my name mentioned in the course of the recital hark footsteps approach i must conceal my papers End of section eighty four